and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today, very early on in our season eight set of episodes, we are doing a little bit of a throwback. Throwback. TBT, except not because it is a Wednesday to those listening. To those listening when we post. I mean, it's also a Wednesday for us recording, recording. So it's, it's a TBW. Well, no judgment at all to those of you who might be listening to this on a Thursday. Uh, But today we're throwing it back all the way to episode 29. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember those days anymore. Honestly, I thought we had done this episode earlier. Me too. Uh, so 29 sounds late to me. Okay, yeah. No, but... weird. I felt similarly, but no. The episode we're sort of renovating today is uh, episode 29, which was our very first National Treasure Hunt discussion on ethics, specifically taking a look at the ethics and the morality of the decisions that our National Treasure film characters were making throughout the franchise. And to this day, I think that has been one of our most thought-provoking episodes as judged by our listeners. Oh, yeah. And dare I say one of the ones where we've learned a lot about each other and ourselves. And just to top it all off, a really great throwback to what we were hoping to accomplish with National Treasure Hunt, which is like a really holistic understanding of and appreciation for this film franchise through an interdisciplinary lens. And so today's episode will be no exception because today on National Treasure Hunt, we will be doing an ethical analysis of the decisions that various characters are making in National Treasure Edge of History. Yes, we are about to CIE National Treasure Edge of History. If if anyone doesn't know what that means, which I am assuming is the vast majority of our listeners, that is a direct reference to a specific class that Emily and I took at Ursinus College back in the day. So shout out Ursinus. Okay, but obviously before we do that, we need to give y'all our screams from Parkington Lane. I can hear the scream now. I hope you leave that in when you edit. Um, (laughs) So a quick reminder, since we are early in the season, our screams from Parkington Lane are simply our weekly acknowledgement that Emily and I have truly fallen deep into the Parkington Lane pit that is National Treasure fandom with National Treasure popping up in our daily lives. Emily, what is your scream for me this week? Yes, so... um... For the holiday season, I went with my in-laws to um, Kitchen Kettle Village, which is kind of in Lancaster. Um, It's basically just like a little shopping complex that's kind of like quaint. Um, And one of the stores was selling uh, like rocks outside, like Mm -hmm. stones kind of. And... I was waiting in line with Josh to buy a pretzel and stepped out of line to go look more closely at the stones to make sure that none of them were the ones from Edge of History. And they were not. But oh. I did check. So they were like like uh like 
what are they, like crystals? Uh, like jemmy? They, they were like colored, smooth okay. stones. Yeah. Well, I that literally reminds me of what I could have used as my scream today, which is the fact that I was recently visiting Brian in his uh, new home, his new city, and came across a crystal store. And when I went inside, they had a whole wall of all of these beaded bracelets um, and just about every crystal or stone you could imagine. And I did buy three bracelets, one of jade, one of lapis, and one of obsidian um, because I really, 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 really wanted them and needed them for my national treasure collection. And I did spend like $60 on them. But oddly enough, that's not my scream this week. No, 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 no. That's your scream, Aubrey. We have a lot to cover. That's your scream. Save your other scream for next week. As soon as you said, this is almost the scream, and then you went into the whole thing. No, that's your scream. But we have another scream that we get to share, not directly from Aubrey's life, but from someone else's life. Aubrey, take it away. I just feel really, really shut down right now, but that's fine. Um, We do have a quick scream from National Treasure superfan Lillian to share. Uh, Lillian recently told us that uh, she's apparently a big fan of the podcast Pod Meets World, which is apparently a Boy Meets World rewatch podcast. And she noted that, you know, at the time she sent this to us, she had listened to two completely distinct episodes of this show in which the hosts mentioned National Treasure. And now, Emily, I am not by any means a Boy Meets World expert, but I am fairly confident that there's very little direct overlap between Boy Meets World and National Treasure. So I, for one, find this really impressive. Yeah, I have no concept of that ever being mentioned directly <laughs> in the show, but way to go, Lillian. Yeah, we love that for you. And something else that we love for our listeners is the opportunity to share your screams from Parkington Lane right here on National Treasure Hunt. So if you want to hear a future scream of yours on a future episode of our podcast, you should go ahead and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Join at any tier and you can send us your screams and you'll probably hear them in the future. And if you would like to find us anywhere else, uh, you can find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. You can also visit our website, nthuntpodcast.com, where you can learn everything else there is to know about us aside from our bathroom schedules. Maybe one day, friends. Um, you can also order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy, at tuckerdspress.com. And just a quick little PSA at the time of this episode coming out, we will soon be announcing the spring 2024 National Treasure Hunt tour date. So definitely keep your eyes on the socials and on the website for that info if you want to join us. Okay, now that we've gotten all that out of the way and I have gotten to not share the screen I wanted to share today, um, I think it's time for us to jump into the content of today's episode. Emily, I'm so excited to get into some ethical arguments with you today. I was hoping for a nice discussion, but sure. I suppose we shall see. Uh, the way this episode is going to work, we are going to introduce a handful of topics from various episodes of National Treasure Edge of History, uh, topics that 
you know, let's classify them as ethically nebulous plot points from the show. We will introduce the topic by refreshing ourselves about why the character made the decision that they made. And then we will kind of have a little bit of a conversation amongst ourselves about why those decisions were or were not ethically or morally sound. I just want to reiterate, just as we did back in episode 29, that there really are no definitive correct answers here. And so we especially encourage you to share your thoughts with us um, about each of these topics after you've had a chance to listen. Yes, we do. So, Aubrey, I mean, I am, I'm ready to to get going. So what's our first topic? Okay, so our first topic derives from Edge of History, Episode 2. And this, um, as soon as I saw this happen in the show, I knew we would talk about this on a future episode. And that is Jess's unilateral decision to go to the FBI, despite her best friend Tasha not agreeing to that plan. Now, just as a reminder of context, um, at this point early in the show, Billy has kidnapped Oren. And Jess wants to go to the FBI for help. Um, Tasha, however, is unwilling to do so because of her family's and her community's longstanding challenges with law enforcement. Jess ends up doing it anyway. I have thoughts. Yeah. So I think the best way for us to tackle these topics is to just dive into some discussion. So take it away, Em. Okay. So I think the first like probably most obvious thing here, like ethically speaking from a friendship perspective, Jess did not respect Tasha. (laughs) Like that's bad. For sure. Agree. Right. Like we can all agree on that. There's kind of an added layer of the fact that typically margin people from marginalized populations have their opinions heard less frequently or at least respected less frequently and therefore from both a friendship and a like just general societal respect perspective just made like not a super ethically sound decision Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah for sure and i think there's something to be said here about it's not just going against her friend's decision she's completely jess has completely Uh, not taken into account the reasons why her friend has that opinion right and and I would argue that a lot of Tasha's opinion is based on uh I would say justified fear and nervousness and seeing uh who is supposed to be her best friend just kind of trounce on that without a second thought is uh really hard to watch but at the same time, do we have to consider the fact that the reason Jess wants to go to the FBI in the first place is to prevent like bodily harm to another person, to their their other friend, frankly. And they feel, she feels, Jess feels that they will be more successful in protecting Oren with the help of trained professionals. Yeah, Aubrey, I definitely agree with you in that. I think, you know, most moral, ethical philosophers would probably, you know, go with the thought that prevention of bodily harm is, like, 
one of the more noble things to do, right? And should be considered theoretically higher than like a relationship or like mutual respect. I do think that interestingly, and this I was not expecting to like have come up, there can be an argument made for whether it's more important for Jess to prevent what she knows is like most likely going to be bodily harm, right? For Oren mm-hmm. versus what she's not sure could be bodily harm mm. for someone like Tasha. And even if it's not bodily harm to Tasha, right? Like the FBI doesn't have her kidnapped, right? Does the, does us not siding with Oren, because that's not necessarily what we're doing here, but if we support Jess's decision to prevent bodily harm to Oren by going against Tasha's opinions, does this inherently mean that we're suggesting that bodily harm is more important or worth considering in ethical decision-making than emotional or, like, mental harm. Which Tasha is experiencing. Right. That's a really, really great point. Um, I think something that – I don't know that this is much of an ethical, like, consideration, but the other thing that came to mind for me is that even if you wanted to use the bodily harm argument to support Jess's decision – she really didn't execute this task in a way that would lead to the FBI actually helping her effectively. And so now she has put Tasha in this position for absolutely no reason. What I mean by that is, um, you know, we can get mad at Agent Ross and the FBI all we want for not helping Jess and Tasha find Oren, but frankly, the way they went to the FBI and ask for their help, of course the FBI isn't going to help them, right? They did not, like, Jess did not predetermine what she was going to say to the FBI or how she would say it. And so it just, to me, not only does now that put Tasha in, like, a mentally or emotionally compromised state for no reason, but perhaps that could even exacerbate Tasha's existing fears with the law enforcement because now they're, the FBI perceives this as them being scammed kind of oh yeah no that's good so yeah the the idea that jess you know if, if she is going to like disrespect her friend's wishes needs to like is morally responsible for having a successful way to carry this out <laughs> Yeah. Which does I, not happen. Not at all. Now, before we move on to the next topic, just to throw one more wrench into the situation, I do want to point out that while she did not want to go through with this plan, Tasha didn't really present an alternative solution herself, um, which, you know, if we're looking at the end goal of saving Oren from imminent death at the hands of Billy and her hench people tough tough to deal with when there's no plan being proposed as an alternative i don't know that that changes the answer of whether or not this is cool ethically yeah 
I agree, but that is, that is a really interesting kind of consideration. I, this alone, I feel like we could talk about all day. I, I loved that as soon as I saw this for the first time, I was like, this is something we have to talk about. But we have so many things to talk about. So should we move on to the next topic? Let's. Okay, so topic number two today is derived from around episode three, um, and this is another one that I knew we'd talk about, and this is uh, the fact that Ethan told Liam about Jess's DACA status, okay? So again, as a refresher for everyone, after the Graceland heist in which Jess kind of took matters into her own hands and went into Graceland herself despite the risk to her immigration status. Ethan was super frustrated by this turn of events and he ends up telling Liam, I think, out of that frustration and concern um, that Jess is uh, a recipient of DACA because Ethan thinks that by doing so, by telling Liam this, he is protecting Jess. Um, In other words, he's explaining to Liam why they all need to tread lightly regarding any illegal actions or decisions that they might make as a unit. Now, I do want to preface this by saying um, we know that this is a topic that we, as people who do not have DACA ourselves, cannot speak with any personal experience to. But I think we can sort of generalize this topic for the sake of our brief conversation today to just the concept of sharing very, very personal information about someone without their consent, right? Yes, definitely. Um, I think that's that's a really good way to to go about this. So I'm going to go right off the bat um, and say the way I typically think about these discussions, I know you and I have different approaches. I usually like to think of the pros and the cons to the decision to get my juices flowing. And I'll be honest that as soon as I really sat down to start thinking about this one, I just really couldn't think of any legitimate pros to this or like any legitimate reasons that justify telling a person about your friend's sensitive personal information without their consent. Okay. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I think this, so this was, I will admit this was a hard one for me and it led me down like a bunch of different paths, but to kind of address what you've just said, I think that there are times when personal information or sensitive information should be allowed to be shared without consent if, and this is kind of like bringing us back to what we were talking about with our previous point, there is a reason to believe that it's going to, say, prevent bodily harm. So something I'm thinking of is as like someone who's been in therapy for most of my life and as a teacher, right, there are literally laws in place, right, where you are not allowed to share, like, sensitive Uh information. There is a certain amount of confidentiality. But there are exceptions to that confidentiality when it comes to a perceived physical or bodily harm, particularly to the individual themselves. 
obviously this is extrapolating because a Jess lot. Was, <laughs> yes but I think because yes Jess was not like actively you know like threatening to physically harm herself or others or others but I do think that you could make that argument if you wanted to that for the for the sake of protection it was something that maybe Ethan felt like he needed to share kind of like if you know someone shares like oh this person is diabetic so like don't give them you know th- those cookies okay but i you would i would even argue that in the case of like the the diabetic example if the person who is the diabetic is an adult it is no one else's business to step in and say don't give the diabetic adult the cookies in the similar way that i feel like jess is an adult there is no question about her age we know very clearly her age in this show she's an adult and she's capable of making her own decisions even if they're risky without ethan or liam or anyone telling her what to do and frankly that's from the you know the jess perspective also ethan and liam they're not responsible for Jess's safety. Like, yeah. as friends, they can give her advice and say, I don't think this is a good idea, but it is ultimately her decision. And so I just really feel like it is up to Jess to decide if or when she would like to disclose that information to literally anyone. And and I'll just throw in, I don't think this, it doesn't matter to me if she knew Liam for a week or a year she might not trust him for whatever reason. We actually know that she ends up not trusting him like an episode later. So like, it just. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, to be clear, I do ultimately think that it should be Jess's decision about (laughs) what she chooses to share. I do think that there is, and I'm not going to get too into it. I do think there is a potential argument, and I'm not saying I'm making this argument, but there is a potential argument that could be made for the contract of friendship versus romantic relationship. And I think that gets a little more like blurry if you're like married to someone even though even then you should still have the ability to say what you want but I think at least from like Ethan's perspective I think you know well one Jess and Liam were not together at this particular point right they liked each other but they were not together and like you said she didn't fully trust him Ethan was crushing on Jess, but Jess had no interest in Ethan until, like, that one random dance they did, which uh, I wish I could burn it from my mind. Um, So I can see the idea of doing something out of love for someone, potentially influencing that decision from Ethan, but I don't think that that like morally overpowers Jess's you know own agency I don't think that he did it maliciously at all absolutely at all um but let's put it this way there's a reason Jess was really annoyed with him afterwards and I think her just her annoyance was fully justified yeah 
for sure. I think so. The last thing that I want to bring up, like kind of surrounding this, is we know that Ethan at this point in the show is in law school. Mm-hmm. Um, does the fact that he is in law school matter at all here? Could we make the argument that he might have, and I like I he's in law school. He's not specializing in a specific type of law right now, right? But could, in some theoretical world, the argument be made that he might have more insight into the particular like situation surrounding what Jess is going through? I think yes, but by equal token, if you're going to make that argument, you have to make the flip side argument as well, which is he should, of all people, really respect the idea of like a um, lawyer-client confidentiality and that sort of privilege. So he should be able to respect um, keeping that sensitive information to himself even more. Yeah, definitely. Okay, that was fun. Next one yes okay next one next one's interesting because it is a recurring concept throughout edge of history and this is the concept of making up for one's past transgressions this was like an unexpected theme throughout the show like it's not a conserved national treasure franchise theme per se um but we first hear of this concept in episode three in the context of agent ross and agent hendrix but this again it will recur later for dr zeke and for miles basically each character has done something in their past that they felt was a huge mistake with huge consequences and now they're extra motivated to do good to kind of make up for it if you will so as a reminder quickly for agent ross she had arrested the wrong person in a case and the real killer in her case, killed someone else. For Agent Hendricks, he didn't act on the someone's going to steal the declaration tip, although we know later that we'll take this at surface value, okay? Uh, For Dr. Zeke, he lost a patient on the operating table when he was a surgeon. And for Miles, he, you know, was working with Billy and kind of like looking the other way during the Sadusky murder, and he feels bad about this. Okay, so big conceptual point here. Can one make up for their past transgressions with future good acts? Emily, go. <laughs> I have so many thoughts um, and a lot of questions. Um, so I want to start by saying that, like, I watch a lot of stuff with superheroes or, like, vigilantes. We know. So this, <laughs> yes, I know. But this whole rationale is, like, very familiar to me like it is the kind of like the theme of most of the media that i consume so it's no surprise that disney who's really in on this whole like villain superhero game would pull this into national treasure oh not at all (laughs) um so i will say like straight off the bat i don't think that there is anything fundamentally wrong with trying to atone for past actions I think that many philosophers would actually argue that this might be like the height of moral clarity. Um, And coming from a religious perspective, right, this is obviously also a fairly common thing to do, especially in 
like some sects of Christianity. Now, this is where we like, I start to have, I just, I need a moment to just talk. Oh God. So <laughs> what? Nothing. Just wondering, wondering when I'm going to get to get to pull in two cents, but I. No, you can pull it. No. What no, do you no, have no. to say? No, 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 no. I will wait. I will wait. I, I, interestingly, I also independently, you know, obviously, you know, think of the concept of being redeemable and learning from past mistakes, right? Like, I think that idea um, is fairly universal in terms of a human good. But I have, I have kind of cons on my list as well, but you can go first. Yeah. So I, like, personally believe that people can be redeemed. Okay. But I think, and this kind of speaks to like the con, maybe, maybe one of the cons you're going to bring up. I don't know because I haven't looked at your notes. But a con for me is that trying to redeem oneself should not be done in a way where you expect forgiveness from other people for the transgressions you may have committed or the trauma that you have caused or perpetuated that is super similar to one of my cons but i actually take it um a little bit a little bit differently actually so you're saying you don't think that these redeemable actions basically grant you the right to make others forgive you what about forgiving yourself that's the one thing that i'm unclear about here does doing good after doing something bad does that validate oneself in feeling better? Does it give oneself permission to forgive yourself for that past bad? Is that is that part of the redeeming here? And if it is, is that selfish? Mm. Is that does that make the action of what you are doing to redeem does that make that selfish? And if so, does it matter? if it's selfish, right? Because it's this utilitarian argument to pull in an, you know, an ethical concept here. If you're doing a good thing for the end purpose of having a good effect on others or on the world or on society, what have you, but maybe the utility also simultaneously, not instead of, but simultaneously is making you feel good or making you feel better. Does that reduce the goodness of the action? Yeah, that's a fantastic question and actually is one that I also had, um, which, you know, I kind of framed it like slightly differently because I didn't have as eloquent of a way to, to say it as you so often do. But in this kind of idea of it being a potentially selfish act, right, does it like it kind of begs the question like does the morality of your good deeds gain or like lose points quote unquote mm -hmm. based on the authenticity so mm -hmm. based on the pureness of those good deeds so like if you're someone like mother teresa right versus if you're someone who's done some really bad and now part of the reason you're trying to do better is because you want to see yourself in a better light. And to add another layer, 
is there a difference between someone who did all the bad stuff as you referenced, but they did the bad stuff like knowingly and on purpose versus people, at least in the context of edge of history, we're talking about Agent Ross, doctors, Agent Ross and Dr. Zeke, let's say, where it was very clear they did bad things, but it was not on purpose. In fact, it was an actual honest mistake. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. does that make them more redeemable based on now, like, current good actions? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, just from, like, a purely, like, opinion, like, to me, yes. But I also think that, and you're going to hate me for doing this, um, but <laughs> I've been watching Charmed lately. Here we go again. Yeah. Uh, and one of the characters on Charmed is half human, half demon. And he, like, very evil and does a bunch of bad things as a demon. But at a certain point, falls in love and becomes, quote-unquote, like, good and starts doing good things. My, in that specific case, right, there's an argument made for, like, him not doing those things accidentally, but, like, not having full autonomy over Mm. the bad things. Right, which you could argue autonomy is a matter of like whether you are purposely doing something or whether just like circumstances happen, mm-hmm. right? Because that does something. But it kind of for me begs the question of do we need to take people as they are in a given moment rather than judge them based on their past actions? I don't know. I really feel like this um, makes the quintessential character for us to assess in the national treasure context, because this isn't charmed hunt Um, miles actually. Right. Because he had made the conscious decision to work with Billy and to like do all of the bad things for payment. Like he was being paid. Right. And then decided, Oh my gosh, this has gone too far. I need to make up for my past actions by actively helping Liam here and helping the rest of the, the kids as everyone calls them on our pod. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there is a lot more of like a 180 Mm -hmm. moment for someone like him than someone like, like agent Ross or Dr. Zeke. Okay. So Liam obviously was willing to work with miles, Mm -hmm. right? It like at the end of miles this time. So in that case, right like what miles was doing was enough for liam who was someone that miles had hurt hurt yeah but what like do we think the fact that miles died Mm. made his like good deeds more esteemed i mean Oh, that's really tough. I mean, I don't personally like blanket agree with the concept of martyrdom, right? And so that's what I feel like this is getting towards. What do you think? I I don't know. I mean, I I think that like people are more likely to see someone in a more positive light Mm -hmm. for that kind of like getting at the martyrdom thing. I don't know that 
I necessarily would. Well, that's where, from a storytelling perspective, it would have been particularly interesting if Miles had survived. Does he continue to be helpful? Does he continue to battle against Billy or does he succumb and go back to her or or what have you? Because ultimately, the one thing I wanted to end this section on myself is just the reality that, frankly, doing good doesn't undo the bad that you did. It might be, you know, you might have achieved a, a good, a good outcome, but that bad thing still happened. So for example, um, you know, with, by just because we recently had Dr. Zeke, Tommy Savas on the pod, um, I'll use him as an example, just because he is now willing to kind of thwart authority to help solve Sadusky's murder, it doesn't bring his deceased patient back to life. Right. And you could say the same for each of the other cases here. So um, it just makes this a little bit more ethically complex than straightforward. Yeah, for, for sure. Okay. Um, we, we have three more topics that we have to dive into here, but I think we're on a roll. We good to keep going? Yes. All right. Topic number four, everyone. Um, really comes into play in episode seven. And this is Raphael's long-standing, long-term decision to let his wife and daughter think that he died, right? So again, for context, uh, early, like very, very opening of Edge of History, we know that Raphael is presumed dead in the fire in Mexico, uh, but in episode seven, we learn that he's actually alive and that for the past, you know, like 20 whatever years, he let his wife, who has now died herself, um, and his daughter, Jess, think that he had died in that fire. The reason was so that Crossas Nostrum would not go after Manuela and Jess. So it was a, a protection argument again. Um, so... Oddly enough, Emily, your face tells me that we're going to disagree on this a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because I think this is at least 50% ethically justified. And what I mean by that is you have an adult he's making a decision for in Manuela. But you also have a minor. And not just a minor, like a literal baby, right? Um, Who he's making a decision for. And... If we're going to go back to the DACA conversation earlier about the whole idea of protecting people, um, or even to the conversation about Tasha and the FBI about protecting people, protecting Orin, what have you, I think to be self-consistent, we have to say that his decision, if it's going to lead to the protection of at least Jess, can be argued at least a little bit. Yes. And so I agree with that, like, argument. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it it comes down to whether it's more ethical to save someone from potential future harm, right? Because he assumed that Crossus Nostrum was, was going to find Jess and Manuela and like probably they would yeah, have. He has good right? reason like, to believe that they would. Right. It, it's it's a valid belief. Is it better to do that with like a future foresight knowing 
that you're going to cause like current pain and suffering and i guess in Jess's case like future because current pain and suffering was like manuela right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> um and so i agree with the like you need to consider that thing but also the the thought of someone who I am in a relationship with, like, have made marriage vows to. Doing this to me is, like, to me, not acceptable. Um, because you, yes, you're protecting the baby, but you are taking agency away from your partner. Mm -hmm. Like, the person who you have vowed to be there with and to me if you're taking this decision away from them even if it's from the perspective of you're going to protect them it suggests that you don't believe that they either can protect themselves or are capable of making a smart decision to protect themselves but you're completely taking out the fact that they have a child because in this case, you cannot decouple the fact that Manuela and Jess both exist in this case. Because I guess you could say, yeah, you know, Raphael could have told Manuela that he exists, but then him and Manuela could have jointly told Jess that, th that you know, he was dead, which is number one, totally unfair to ask of Manuela. So that would create a whole other issue. But number two, even by telling Manuela, he's back to putting Jess in danger. Because now Manuela knows that he's alive and will be presumably communicating with him in some way. So I don't think you can, I think it would be more clear, way more clear cut if it was just they were a married couple and they didn't have a kid and a young kid at that, right? I don't think you can decouple these two things. And there's the fact that, you know, while it was an unfortunate decision for him to have to make, in a way, his supposition was borne out. His family was indeed safe for all of those years based on the decision that he made. Does that change anything? I think from an ethical perspective of ends justify the means, yes. I think part of like my ethical dilemma with this is I think maybe something that hasn't been like super firmly established in like ethical philosophy but, like, for me, I think it's coming down to, like, a sexism argument of, like, the man needing to play the hero. And, like, I'm I'm not trying to decouple the baby from this. Like, I fully, I personally fully believe that Raphael should have had them both know that he was alive and they could do with that what they wanted they and have to fend for themselves from crosses nostrum for the rest of i mean time. he was there he was imprisoned well yeah very but soon after partially because of all those well no i mean that okay but to get to your sexism point what if the roles were reversed what if manuela was the treasure hunter the whole time would you feel similarly or would you think the fact that you know, Raphael is the the man in this context making this decision. Is that tainting your view? Oh, it's 100% tainting my view. I, I, yes. that, And that's why I said I don't think it's coming from an ethically sound, Got it. like, philosophical argument. 
but like yeah that to me it's just making it really difficult to discern this because it's a very typical storytelling trope hmm. well i have one other uh interesting point that i wanted to bring up for this one i'm not sure if you have others as well uh, this is totally different totally off the wall um and i think it introduces the concept of like personal morals which we haven't really discussed very much yet um i think it is worth noting that by taking this route that he took that Raphael took he was also able to continue his pursuit of the treasure which whether you or I agree with it or not we know very strongly that Raphael felt very strongly was morally and ethically mandatory for him to do um and at the same time so he can continue that pursuit while in his view keeping his family safe does that where do personal morals and personal beliefs come into the picture here? Because there's also the fact that, you know, Manuela is also a part of this treasure hunt. So perhaps she also finds it somewhat morally mandatory to continue this hunt. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of unclear because we don't know her very well. But, you know, does that matter? Yeah. No, that's a good question. I mean... I think for me, it's it's difficult because, like, from a treasure hunt perspective, no. Like, I... But he thinks it's saving and preserving his culture, his heritage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we can't relate to. We cannot relate to, which is why I have difficulty saying it. I'm, I am purely thinking of it from the perspective of his responsibility to his family and i understand that that you know can be viewed in different ways his responsibility could be to protect them by pretending he's dead or letting them believe he's dead versus letting them know he's alive and letting them kind of be in conversation and like part of his life well so far i think it's fair to say that this is the one that we've had potentially the most disagreement on so i'd be super curious to hear what our listeners think um definitely of, of course of all the topics but especially this one so keep that in mind folks as we move on to topic number five um topic number five is um kind of combined with Topic number six, or we're, we're saying we're looking at two sides of one coin now, okay? This is the idea of making a decision that hurts you and your friends um, based on, you know, your personal, you know, convictions. So in this case, we're talking about Jess deciding to cross the border into Mexico in order to pursue the Alamo well clue. And as we know, as a result, because of her her immigration status, she will not be able to legally reenter the United States after doing this. Um, this is a case where, you know, her friends are very trepidatious and don't seem to think this is a great idea. Some of them go along with it. Some of them don't. Uh, spoiler alert, so that you're, you can start thinking of your perspective on this, dear listeners. Um, in just a moment, we're going to flip this on its head. And we're going to say, we're going to ask about the ethics of supporting a friend's 
questionable decision versus not supporting your friend's questionable questionable decision because you know it's bad for you know both you and for them so aubrey i would like to ask us um just a conceptual question before we kind of begin this discussion is that is that okay uh sure what i guess danger was jess posing to her friends by making this decision is it the fact that they could potentially be implicated in that's certainly a part of it i mean they know that they're going to be doing some illegal stuff in another country um for sure but to me the immediate implication here is um you know you are making the decision to remove yourself from the lives of these people who by your own volition are your family. Um, and so they will naturally have feelings about this in a weird way. It's a perfect follow on to our last conversation, yeah. right? Because you're make you're in this case, making somewhat of a Raphael decision and that you're saying, yeah, I know that I can't come back with y'all and unclear how we'll, how and when we'll see each other, but like, I'm gonna do it anyway. Yeah. So, and I think this you're gonna see my uh the this the kind of like sexism thing <laughs> flip this on its head here okay. uh for me because in this case, like I do think that there is definitely something once again, like we've been saying, to be said for agency, right? Mm-hmm. Like people should have some amount of agency over the decisions and There is also an inherent amount of trust that you give to someone in forming a friendship or other relationship with them that should, in theory, be, like, respected. Because Jess's decision did not pose bodily harm, right, we're just going to bring it all back right now, to these individuals, her friends... I don't think that this is a terrible, in terms of ethics, thing to do. Because she did not force them to go with her. Which in itself is But it's not a question of that. That's not what we're asking, is like whether whether she demands them to go with. I mean, what I was going to say is, weren't you the one arguing that we can't take mental or emotional harm off the table next to bodily harm because i would argue based on what you just said that no there's absolutely no bodily harm for them but this idea of of um her removing herself from their little friendship family might be emotionally or mentally distressing for her friends especially when you know they have all these you know fears about her being alone in a place that she's unfamiliar with and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like I should have stronger opinions on this given the emotional toll that losing what I perceived to be formative friendships took on me at various points in, in my life. Um, that you experienced firsthand oddly enough to me i think and i think it's just 
because of the way that I conceptualize like friends versus family, which I realize is something from an ethical perspective that needs to be kind of reconsidered now that this concept of found family is something more, uh, I guess, like robust in society. I, I consider it like you have some sort of contract with these people, but like they'll get over it. Which oh, is... I don't think that's ethically sound at all. Oh no, it's it's not a good argument. Need I remind you this is an ethics episode, <laughs> not a how Emily would personally feel in this situation. I'm just saying, like, if Jeff from from what you were saying before about like Raphael uh feeling like he had to make his decision to let Jess and Manuela believe he was dead, mm-hmm. right? Because he wanted to carry out this treasure hunt. Well, Jess. that wasn't the primary reason. It wasn't the primary reason, on. but a reason for if, you know, if we were able to make that argument there, that argument should be able to be factored in here. And so Jess doing this is something that she feels is culturally, familially, and otherwise important to mm-hmm. her life. Agree. She absolutely has a right to pursue her heritage and the meaning of this treasure hunt for her family and for her culture. And she is an adult who is fully capable of making her own decisions that will affect herself, even if others perceive the effects to be negative. Um, But interestingly enough, I think this also does bring in the final concept we discussed for Raphael, which is that idea of personal morals, once again, um, and personal volition. And when can your personal morals supersede um the effect the potentially negative effect whatever that negative effect may be bodily harm emotional harm mental harm whatever on other people um i think this is actually a lot less clear-cut than it seems on the surface yeah i agree well let's flip it around let's look at it from the friend's perspective um so again once we see Jess decide to go to Mexico. We have Oren and Tasha who support Jess's decision and Ethan doesn't for a moment. Anyway, Um, we can actually then add to it later. You know, once Jess decides to break her dad out of prison, uh, now Tasha and Ethan are supportive of her decision and Oren does not support the decision. So um, this one is really complicated. in my opinion, because we're tracking so many characters and stuff. So for me, um, I think the easiest way to start this is maybe the pros and cons list. Um, Once again, I think we all agree that each person in this scenario is an adult entitled to their personal opinions regarding whether or not something is or is not the right thing to do. Um, And they're also entitled to their own decision about whether or not to put themselves at physical risk, at legal risk, at any risk you want to talk about. Um, And, you know, I feel like as long as Jess makes clear that she understands the consequences of her decision, you know, Oren and Tasha supporting her going to Mexico, for instance, we can say is, uh, we could say is, is morally or ethically a good thing because they are, supporting their friend and and helping her in her time of need um 
at at the same time though you can make the argument that um ethan not supporting jess's decision to cross the border is also looking out for her welfare but she's an adult who can make her own, own decisions and per the argument about the daca conversation he doesn't get to make decisions about her welfare Mm-hmm. And and I think much of the same can be said about Aura not supporting Jess during the prison break. He's trying to be a good friend by pointing out why it is such a terrible idea. Yeah. So I think, and this is not going to solve anything. It's, it's just, just so complicated. Gonna, it's just going to be me basically restating what you just said, but in a different way. I think for me, what this comes down to is that theoretically... When you are entering into a relationship, be it romantic or friendship, you are probably, by most moral and ethical philosophies, making some type of commitment to that person. So then for me, it becomes an ethical question of what you have committed to with that person, or if you want to think of it another way, where your commitment lies. So does your commitment lie in supporting them and what they choose to do because of their own agency or does your commitment lie in protecting them because they might be acting rashly and 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 does your answer to why you're making the decision you're making affect the goodness of your decision it, so what are the reasons for Ethan not supporting Jess's decision to cross the border? Is it because he's actually looking out for her own self, her own safety? Or is it because he's upset that she won't be able to return and he won't be able to pursue a friendship or romantic relationship with her? Same with, with Oren later on. Is, is Oren selfish in not helping with the prison break because he doesn't want to go to jail? But also, is that... Are, are either of these cases justified, especially in the prison break case, is he justified because not only is, you know, he putting himself in harm's way, but he's now potentially doing something that is also immoral or unethical. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's complicated. It is so complicated. Also think about this. If you allow a friend or anyone you have that relationship status with that you were discussing before, if you allow that person to do something dangerous without helping them, which we can agree that if you help them, you might increase their chances of success or you might make it less dangerous for them. Are you being selfish? Because they might be doing a bad thing, but if they're going to do it anyway, and if they do it anyway without your help, they might get harmed more? Are you making yeah, a bad are decision? You yeah, and then are you responsible for right. the harm that befalls them? Right. Yeah, it's tricky stuff. I, I just, this one really has my brain in knots, I'll be honest. Okay, well, let's let's go to something that's not going to have your brain in as much knots, I assume. Yo, this one is so wild, okay? This is our last big topic of the day, y'all. And if you didn't know this was coming, then try harder next time i think because it should be obvious our final big topic of the day is from episode eight breaking someone out of prison in case 
anyone somehow needs a reminder, um, Jess obviously decides to break her dad, Raphael, out of prison um, once she finds out that he's there. And her reason is because she thinks Billy will have him killed once Billy realizes he's there. Um, so I just want to say I'm looking at both of our notes here. So short. <laughs> yes. I know I have more typed in because I rambled a bit, but like we each have one point in kind of like the pro versus the con category, essentially. Um, so l- let's have at it. Okay, I feel like we're gonna we're gonna land on ultimately the con, so maybe start with the pro. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um the only thing I got here, I've got Raphael is technically innocent anyway. So by breaking him out of prison, Jess is sort of supporting him getting justice. And I guess also you could argue that she's doing this on the moral grounds of helping family. Yes. But that's really all I've all I've got. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> Uh, it's pretty similar. Um, I was actually likening this, I know you're going to hate this, to stealing the Declaration of Independence um, because of the fact that in Ben's situation, he was stealing the Declaration to prevent harm befalling it. Right? Mm -hmm. In Jess's situation... You can argue that by breaking her father out of prison, she is preventing him harm because, one, he shouldn't actually be in prison, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, he didn't actually do... As said, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what he's there for. And she's afraid that Billy is going to, you know, like, kill him. So she is kind of preventing additional harm from being done. But like you said, that's all I've got. Yeah, and I'm even going to argue in our wrap-up that while there is that direct linkage to the Declaration thing, I don't think it's actually that similar to the Declaration thing. But I'll wait. I knew you wouldn't. I knew you wouldn't. That's why I said I think you're going to hate this. Oh wait. Oh wait. Okay. The, I, I guess ultimately here, um, it's literally a federal offense. It's super illegal and textbook wrong on paper. Yeah, I mean, basically same. So, like, <laughs> stealing the Declaration of Independence, it's illegal. Don't do it if you're considering it. Uh, just, like, throwing that out there. I think it's obvious here from Jess's situation with her dad that from, like, the societal impact and keeping with the rules and structures of society perspective, it is obviously ethically wrong to break someone out of prison. Wow. What a bold statement made here on the National Treasure Hunt podcast today. Yeah. Not saying that people might not have reasons for it, but like, and they could be good. But if we're arguing it from a purely ethical standpoint in terms of society and rules, it's bad. Wow. Sorry to end on such a straightforward one, y'all, but hopefully the previous discussions on arguably much less significant topics for the point of storyline and edge of history Uh, hopefully those conversations were a little bit more intriguing and thought-provoking so as we wrap up here today um two things i think we can consider number one y'all there were 10 episodes of edge of history 
there were a number of topics uh, that we could have covered in this episode, but we chose not to uh, for time because we didn't want to keep you here for five hours. But, you know, in terms of making the judgment call of which ones to cover, we found the ones that we did not talk about to just be inherently less interesting to us, which is in and of itself somewhat of an ethical judgment, which is kind of funny. Um, But I will take this opportunity to just kind of throw them out there to you that, you know, topics that we think we could have covered, but we chose not to. And please let us know what you think of them. So the first is um, in episode one. Uh, when we had Jess and Tasha entering the Masonic Lodge under false name, false pretenses, sort of guise. In episode two, endangering the lives of others by meeting Billy in a public place on the USS Kid when they're trying to do the Orin exchange. Episode three, breaking into Graceland's secret room, right? Kind of quintessential ethical question there. Episode five, Tasha hacking Liam's bank account to figure out if he's the mole when they figure out that uh, someone's been spying on them. Um, And finally, episode six, when we saw Jess uh, being like really mean and lying to her friends because she believes it will prevent them from being in harm's way. This is in the context of when she's going with Billy to the Alamo. So let us know what you think about those. And as you ponder that, Emily, I just wanted to wrap up with a question for us, which is just a big picture query about how the ethics of the decisions made in Edge of History compare to the National Treasure films as a whole. If we can take ourselves back to episode 29 for a minute. Let us. Um, Well, I guess, I don't know if you have thoughts on this ultimate question, but for me, kind of taking it back to you comparing the prison break to the stealing of the declaration, we know we have to compare those as sort of apples to apples because, as we even argued in last episode on the heists, this is the main heist of each, you know, national treasure property. Again, equivalent to kidnapping the president if we're going to tie in national treasure too. And I just found it interesting that, you know, in last episode, we argued that it was kind of strange that the big heist moment of the show wasn't even consequential to the treasure hunt, which is so contrasting from the films. And I would argue here that we had a lot more to say about the ethics of Ben's decision to steal the declaration and to kidnap the president like in terms of actually having an argument about it. And in fact, I think most people we talk to actually land on the fact that Ben was ethically justified in stealing the declaration, right? We just didn't have that kind of conversation for the, the you know, prison break, even though it's a technically equivalent type of decision or scene. Yes, I agree. I will say that... I think we could have had a longer conversation about the prison break component of things if we delved into some, I guess, like more uncomfortable territory concerning the ethics of the legal system in general and potential like wrongful imprisonment. So I personally, like like you said, people land on the side of it being good or like morally correct that Ben stole the Declaration of Independence in a lot of ways. 
I personally land on the side that I think it was morally correct that Jess broke her dad out of prison. Okay, so there we differ there too, because I don't think you can say that, in my opinion, I don't think you can say that that Jess was morally justified in that decision before she exhausted all of her other options, right? There was a big part of Ben stealing the declaration that from our arguments was justified because he tried everything else first. He tried alerting all the proper channels. He tried working with the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security and, you know, everyone else. Um, And he only did what he did in the end because there was no other option, whereas Jess did not go through all of those channels to try to exhaust all the options before making this decision. And for me, I think that's what makes this so fundamentally different from an ethical conversation. Um, Yeah, that's really interesting. I definitely agree with that point. I think and this is odd, I think the, the big sticking point for me as to like why I still think it's ethically okay is because I know that we regard the Declaration of Independence as more than just a piece of paper, right? But at the end of the day, it is a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And with Jess's dad, we're talking about a human life. So arguably, especially to her, because it was like her, it's her blood relative, Mm -hmm. right? I think she probably didn't feel like she had time to go through all of those other channels Mm. because the like ethical implications of losing a blood relative that's a human were like overpowering or could we argue that just like all of her other decisions through the show that we discussed in the heist episode are just a little bit more rash because of the age thing and the experience thing and so I don't think it would be a National Treasure Hunt episode if we didn't land on a, a, a sticking point where we both just don't agree. So I think that mm-hmm. means it's time to wrap up for the day. I do too. So if you fall on one or the other side of this or have thoughts on it, let us know. You can find us on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast, our website, nthuntpodcast.com. And you can also join our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Well, after this emotionally and mentally taxing episode, um, we are coming at you next time with something a lot more lighthearted with one of our pop culture comparisons where we will be uh, fulfilling a longstanding request from some listeners by comparing National Treasure to The Mummy. Emily and I have never seen this movie before. We are so excited to dive in for you guys, all right? But until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. (laughs) 